This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. Electrolyte. That's a cool word of the day for nothing personal today on January 15th. It's called electrolyte. What am I talking about exactly? Have you ever had the electrolyte TB12? What does TB12 mean? Yes, that's Tom Brady. Why was he talking about his own electrolyte? Because as you know, Tom Brady just joined social media not too long ago, and he's crushing it. It's like you sign up for an account and you get millions of followers, if only. I guess he's famous. Of course he is. So he actually commented on Julian Edelman's arrest. Julian Edelman, who's his wide receiver, obviously lots of Super Bowl rings between them. Edelman eliminated from the playoffs, got hammered, got arrested for jumping up and down on somebody's Mercedes Benz. And Tom Brady made light of it by saying, hey, I guess you could use some of my TB12 electrolytes. Couldn't you, Julian? God bless Tom Brady. Always selling. ABC. Always be closing getting people to buy your electrolytes by making fun of public drunkenness and a misdemeanor arrest? Julian, you got to be better at that. I know you're out with Paul Pierce. Things can go sideways there. Well, the story that keeps on giving, uh, welcome again to uh, Nothing Personal here with David Sampson. I'm David Sampson. And what's going on in baseball right now, it just doesn't seem to be stopping, which is exactly what baseball wants to not happen. Yes, count the double negatives. MLB wants this to stop. So first they come out with the investigative results into the Houston Astros, the firings of the GM and the manager, Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch. Then we do an entire show yesterday, and we put you, the listener and the viewer, we told you what the Red Sox needed to do. We pretended that we were John Henry and what we would do with Alex Cora. And our wait to see, which we do every time in this show at the end, the wait to see was Alex Cora will get fired. And so he did. So Alex Cora gets fired. Then what happens after that is there is a release by the Red Sox, which says there was a mutual parting of the ways. That made me smile as well. So I did an emergency bonus pod that many of you, I hope, listen to. You can download and subscribe and you can hear all of Nothing Personal Pods. Sometimes we do bonus when it warrants. And then today, it's like Hanukkah here. The gifts just keep on coming. It's not eight days. It's been like 30 days. The Red Sox held a press conference. And we talked about what a press conference should be on CBS Sports HQ. What I would do were I to be the Boston Red Sox. How would I manage this press conference? I knew John Henry, the owner, would start, and he did. I knew Tom Werner would be sitting next to him and Sam Kennedy, the president of the Red Sox, next to him. The question was, what would they do with Chaim Bloom? We found out Chaim Bloom was right there on the front table at the end because that was critical in my mind because the question should be, how do we move forward? And the answer is, let's go to our current chief baseball officer. But the Red Sox didn't quite get away with everything they tried. 
because the opening statement as read by John Henry, it's tough when you're an owner. I give owners credit. They're not media savvy. John Henry's been an owner for 20 years, maybe more. 1999, 21, this is probably his 21st season. He's not comfortable in front of the media. I don't expect him to. No owners are comfortable. We talked about Jim Crane with his reading glasses, reading from a statement. We talked about the bags under his eyes. Well, John Henry took and read a prepared statement where he started talking about the high standards that the Boston Red Sox have, the family organization that they run, the importance of how they run their organization, and how there was no possible way to move forward with Alex Cora. So they mutually met and parted ways. Please reserve judgment, he said. John Henry, owner of the Red Sox, and this was reiterated throughout the press conference, reserve judgment before you, the fans, the sponsors, the stakeholders, the TV partners, before you say that we did something wrong or that our 2018 World Series should have an asterisk, reserve judgment till the end of the investigation. And then they said they will not be able to answer any more questions. When I ran a press conference, I made it very clear to our head of public relations, our chief communications officer, we're going to have a statement. We'll take two questions from the media and then stop it. When anybody else has other questions, we'll do one-on-ones, which means you talk to a reporter or someone in the media one-on-one. I don't want to sit in the front of a press conference answering myriad questions when all I can say is, sorry, I can't comment on that. Sorry. We don't comment on ongoing investigations. Sorry, we haven't thought about that. Sorry, no, that is not acceptable when you are the Boston Red Sox or any professional sports team. When you have nothing to say further, you make your statement, you move along. So the Red Sox, to me, got a C plus, B minus. What did we learn from this press conference? Two takeaways. One, Alex Cora admitted that what he did was wrong. Isn't that interesting how I just put that? It was stated in the press conference that Alex Cora during our meeting with Red Sox ownership admitted that what I did, what he did was wrong. Um, Hi, this is David. I have a follow-up question as your uh, team president. Hey, uh, Alex, are you saying what you did in Houston was wrong or are you saying what you did in Boston was wrong or both or neither? Alex would then answer the question, and I'd say, okay, Alex, I was just making sure of that. Can you imagine that the Red Sox people did not ask the follow-up question and that the media did not ask the follow-up question when they had a chance? Hey, John, hey, Tom Werner, just out of curiosity, what exactly did Alex admit to doing wrong? Of course, the answer would be we can't comment on an ongoing investigation. But there is no more ongoing investigation as it relates to Houston. That investigation's done. The ongoing investigation is simply with the Red Sox. Is it so simple? Is the investigation only about the Red Sox? Is it possible the Red Sox know that at the end of this investigation, they will say it was a lone gunman? Alex Cora acted alone, period. End of story. He's now fired, mutually parted ways. I'm gonna use air quotes for those of you listening. Every time I say mutually parted ways, because they said it so many times during the press conference that it sounded as though that was rehearsed. And what's interesting is there's nothing mutual about parting ways. You heard it in the bonus pod if you downloaded and subscribed and heard it already. It doesn't exist. Picture in your own job, picture whatever you leave your current job, or whenever you've had to fire someone, 
Sometimes you let them say it's mutual, but it's never mutual. Do you think Alex Cora wanted this service? Do you think he wanted to be let go or to part ways? He said, I'm saving the Red Sox from further distraction and embarrassment. How is that? Why couldn't Alex Cora have been at this press conference and said, what I did was wrong in Houston. I never did it in Boston. Whatever punishment I got or get, it will be because of my actions in Houston. Since I've come to Boston, I've done nothing, nothing at all. And I will serve the suspension and then I will return as manager. Boy, that would have been a way to go. But here's the one thing missing from my plan. It's a lie. Because of course Alex brought what he did in Houston to Boston. Of course he's going to have found to have done what he did in Houston and Boston. Of course he's going to be suspended for a longer period of time than A.J. Hinch. And of course at that time the Red Sox would have had to have fired Cora, which may have been even closer to the start of the regular season, if not during the regular season. So the Red Sox did the only prudent thing. They called it Alex Cora and they said, bye-bye. Now they have to move forward. So then the question shifted in the press conference. This is what you try to do in PR when you're meeting the media, when you've got a crisis situation. You contain it, you address it, and then you zip it. You cut it off. You move forward. You have Chaim Bloom, the new chief baseball officer. Hey, Chaim, let's talk about our new manager. Let's talk about what we're doing on the field, the excitement of the field. Guess what Chaim Bloom had to say during the press conference? Well, we really haven't thought about a timetable yet. Yes, we do love our coaching staff, he said. Yes, we know the timing is strange to start interviewing because we're so close to spring training. But no, we, we, you know, we're just trying to wrap our arms around what took place. So we really haven't talked, had time to talk about that. That is wrong. When you've got a crisis, you're not sleeping. You're putting a plan in place and you're executing it. You think now after this press conference is the first time they're thinking about who their next manager is going to be? No. Their next manager should be and probably will be Ron Renke, the former manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. Why am I calling for him to be the manager? Well, he did manage the Milwaukee Brewers from 2011 to 2015, successful until he got fired. Aren't we all? I love that expression. He was very successful until he got fired. I guess we're all hired to be fired at some point. Keep that in mind. Why Ron Renke, though? Because he's the current bench coach of the Red Sox. It's the only way to have the smallest, tiniest disruption with everything that's gone on. You basically do what the Astros did by promoting Joe Espada from bench coach to manager, even though they haven't announced that that's what they're going to do. I think what they will do is say, Ron Renke, you take over, and then they'll do a full search where Ron Renke will certainly be a candidate. Keep in mind, you also do not have to follow the Rooney rule, which is called the Selig rule, if they apply to baseball and the commissioner and say, listen, we don't have time to do a full set of interviews. We don't have time to find minority candidates, interview them just to say we're interviewing them. We are going to promote our bench coach, who is white. Are we okay with that? It's yet another example where baseball will say, that's an exception, that's okay, you may do it. If they start interviewing a ton of minority candidates, that will mean they did not get the exception, and it'll be a wait to see to see who they hire. The type of manager they will hire, in my opinion, will be a very, very non-controversial, calm, demeanor, Red Sox-affiliated person. Think about, I'm sorry, Mikey Lowell, our third baseman from the championship team in 03, 
I hope you're watching. I apologize, but you're a candidate. To me, you always had a chance to be a manager. I know you want to be home with your wife and kids a lot, but isn't it time to maybe leave the house? You'd be a good candidate. So what happens next with the Red Sox? Manager. What happens next with MLB is that there's going to be the continuation and finality of the investigation. And what will happen is they will eliminate all other teams from the possibility of punishment because you're already hearing all sorts of issues right now about the Yankees. Were they cheating under Carlos Beltran? Is it possible that there are other teams who've been doing the same thing? One of the things that I should mention, because... Coke, our producer, just gave it to me that Sam Kennedy was asked whether Jason Veritek is a candidate to be the next manager. Quote, our hope is that his role will continue to grow. Coca, you're giving me that to read on CBS Sports HQ in the middle of nothing personal? That's the most ridiculous comment ever. Our hope is that his role will continue to grow. Here's how you let me give a hint here to Sam Kennedy. Here's how you make Jason Veritek's role grow. You offer him a job with a higher title and more money. Ah! All of a sudden, you've got growth. That's not huge value added, Matt. Coca put it to me in huge red letters in the middle of the rundown for today's show. Can I get back to what we were talking about on HQ and on the pod, talking about the Red Sox and why the Yankees may have a problem? Are you okay with that? Okay, thank you, Matt. So why am I talking about the Yankees? You would not believe what happened with Alex Cora. One of the great things about the web and the internet, whatever you say lasts forever. Caveat emptor, you better be careful. Buyer beware, that means. Because you may give a press conference after a bunch of games in London, and you may be in a position where you're exhausted, you don't know what time it is, and your team just got its butt kicked, and you may take the microphone and do the following. I was joking with somebody that their biggest free agent acquisition is Carlos Beltran. <laughs> I know how it works, you know. He, he, he's helping a lot. You know, they're, they're paying attention to details, and we have to clear, clean our details. Uh, it was eye-opening the last two days uh, from top to bottom. And I'm not saying, you know, devices and all that stuff. It's just stuff that the game will dictate and will scream at people. And he's right there. And uh, throughout the evening, you know, I was, I was looking. And I saw it, you know. And right now, they're a lot better than us. So we need to get better. For those of you not watching, that was Alex Cora, who was giving a press conference after losing games in London. And he talked about the most important free agent acquisition of the offseason for the Yankees was Carlos Beltran. Now, don't go on Google and look at your website, cbssports.com, and look at the 25-man roster. Carlos Beltran did not play for the Yankees. He was a special assistant. So why did Alex Cora wink? He literally winked when he mentioned Carlos Beltran. Do you think it's possible he knew back then what Carlos Beltran and he did for the Astros? Do you think he knew that Carlos Beltran was doing the exact same thing for the Yankees? Of course he knew, and of course he was. The league has come out through sources and said, we are not investigating the Yankees. The league has come out and said, we are not punishing Carlos Beltran because he was a player at the time of his conduct. Isn't this all very interesting? What if this leads to other players who are no longer affiliated with any teams coming out and saying, that's exactly right. We did it. Yankees did it. Dodgers did it. 
You can't vacate the World Series for the Astros and give it to the Dodgers. What if they did it too? You can't vacate the pennant from the Astros and give it to the Yankees. What if they did it too? Let's keep going down the line. Maybe that's how the Marlins get their next World Series championship. Everyone gets vacated and the team with the second worst record wins. MLB has to put a stop to it and they started now by saying no. There is no other team. That's what their investigation will find. No other team, no other players, no other managers, no nobody. Alex Cora, period, end of sentence. He's already fired. He is taking the fall for this. But MLB now has to go back and deal with this press conference that Alex Cora had in London. And they're going to have to explain it because members of the media and fans and stakeholders will not be satisfied with a blanket statement by Commissioner Rod Manford that states, we have completed our investigation and this did not exist anywhere other than in the dugouts of Boston and Houston. I think not. Way more to come on this story. Then I'm asked all the time, someone came up to me through Twitter. I appreciate you following me at David P. Sampson. That's a Twitter account. You can always direct message me and I'll try to answer and communicate. And I try to keep everyone up to date. This show is about decoding and answering important questions, stories that are trending. Someone actually contacted me and said, do you know that this sign stealing scandal is the worst scandal in the history of baseball? This is worse than steroids, worse than the Chicago Black Sox. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Maybe just watch Field of Dreams. That's a movie with Kevin Costner. Sign stealing and trash can banging are as bad as players who are shooting themselves up with illegal anabolic steroids or human growth hormone or testosterone in order to get cartoon-like numbers and actually impact results of a game. Or the Black Sox or Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Pete Rose gambled on baseball. He bet on his own team to both win and lose, purportedly. He's never even fully come clean with how much he did and how much gambling he did. Otherwise, he would be in the Hall of Fame. He'd be reinstated. And he's coming out and talking about the insanity of the sign stealing. That's much ado about nothing. Thank you, William Shakespeare Rose. What is much more important to me, though, is perspective. When you impact the outcome of a game, that is truly the integrity of the sport. Commissioner Rob Manford is trying to say that the integrity could have been impacted by these scandals, by the sign stealing. Therefore, we are coming down hard on the participants. When you've got gambling involved, it's not integrity could have been, it's integrity was compromised. And then Pete Rose says, I didn't taint the game. Pete Rose and the word taint, I'm not sure belong in the same sentence. But the fact of the matter is, he absolutely left his mark on the game in a negative way, which is too bad because he didn't have the right PR help. He did not have the opportunity to actually simply apologize, admit what he did, stop the story, and move on to the next chapter. It's what we tell people from a PR standpoint. We've talked about it with the Red Sox. Stop the story and move on. There's no way sign stealing is as bad at even close as steroids or gambling. So when I look back and I say, what is the best way to remember these two days? Guess what I'm going to tell you listening at home? I'd rather you just remember this as the day that Josh Donaldson got overpaid. 
Let's remember this as the moment, not that the Astros had to fire their GM and manager, not the fact that all this off-the-field stuff happened in these crazy press conferences. Let's remember that there was a team in the upper Midwest, the land of 10,000 lakes, that was willing to give $92 million to Josh Donaldson over four years. Let's talk on field. Let's remember the fact that we said on nothing personal, he's not getting $100 million, and then he begged to get $110 million. And the rumor was from all the members of the media breaking news, the question is who will blink and give him a buck ten? Turns out he never even had $100 million on the table. He only had the 92. He got his fourth year. He didn't even get to 100 unless they pick up his fifth-year option, by which time Josh Donaldson will be my age. Don't think it's going to happen. Twins needed pitching. They pick up hitting. They were pretty good defensively. They got better. You better be better when you're going to be giving up runs because you're signing Homer Bailey. Can the Twins repeat? Thank God that they are in a division that continues to be completely winnable, except if you're on the south side of Chicago, where you believe a change is in the making. So that's how I'm going to remember these last few days. Unless, of course, Carlos Beltran gets fired tonight and we do another emergency bonus pot of nothing personal. Do I think it's possible Beltran gets fired? Well, I'm going to talk about that for a minute and just tell you my answer is yes. The Wilpons, who are the owners of the Mets, have a habit of listening to what the public is saying. There's articles right now about Mark Teixeira, former Yankee, which gets under the craw of the Mets, saying, hey, you got to fire Beltran. There's articles left and right that how could you not fire Beltran? Well, the Mets may be paying attention to these articles. That's a straight way to see. I would address it if I were the Mets. I would take the microphone. I'll have more on that in the days ahead on Nothing Personal. Another bit of news that happened is uh, not great. It's been overshadowed a bit by all the baseball, but we got to talk about Luke Keekley. Uh, if you've never heard of Luke Keekley, you're not alone. You're not alone. He's famous. He's a uh, defensive player of the year in the NFL in 2013. He won rookie of the year. He's 28 years old, handsome, strong like ox. And he's retiring from the National Football League in his prime. Luke Keekley, at 28 years old, has decided that he is now finished with the National Football League. Why is this noteworthy to me? Because when you have a sport where your best players feel as though it is unsafe to continue playing your game and they choose in their prime to retire, you know you've got a problem. What is it that Keekley said? He took the microphone. He actually posted on his own social media for about three minutes. And he basically said, in my heart, I know this is the right thing to do. I think he misspoke a bit. He didn't really mean in his heart what he meant in his head. Because in his heart, he wants to play football. He wants to be on the team bus. He wants to be in the locker room. He wants to be with the guys. He wants to be the part of winning something. He was part of a 15-1 season, made it to the Super Bowl, didn't win it. You don't think he wants a ring? You don't think his heart says keep playing? There's something that told him not to. What told him not to was the fact that he's already had three concussions by the age of 28. Do you remember the video of him crying on the field? Well, if you've never heard of Luke Keekley, then you don't. But the fact is, he literally cried on the field after one concussion, so upset that he was hurt again, 
or maybe you could say he was hit so hard that it made him cry. Either way, when you miss the final six games of 2016, you have a concussion. I believe he had him three straight years, three out of the eight years of his career. The problem is you can't continue. He went to see doctors and he started, I'll tell you what I think happened. I have no, don't know him at all. This seems normal to me though. I think he was seeing signs the way I do at the age of 51 when I don't have word recall and I have to talk to Coca to tell him to remind me of a name. When I can't remember something. When I'm a little slower with word recall or with trying to remember whether I've said something. Or when I'm a little slower sometime with word recall and trying to remember whether I've said something. Sometimes as you get older, you can have trouble with word recall, right? You can't remember whether or not you said something. And the problem with that is if when that happens, it's very disconcerting to the people around you. And then it becomes disconcerting to yourself. He's got to get medical checkups when you're a football player. You have physicals every year. And he's got a family. He's 28 years old. In the real world, he's a baby. He's just starting. He's in the second inning of his life. There's no way when he looks around at all the concussion issues that the NFL faces, when he looks at the early deaths that happen to NFL players, the physical problems, the mental problems that these players have, when you've made $60 million by the age of 28, is it worth it to keep going? When you haven't made a lot of money, you need to keep going. You've got responsibilities. You've got house payments, car payments. You've got children, family to support. You don't listen to your head. You only pay attention to your heart. But now that the money has improved and increased so much, it makes it easier for players to listen to their head, to listen to the advice of their family and friends. I wish Luke Keekley the best in his life because his life is just starting. He's got an entire, should he go back to school? Does he need to? Should he get a job within football, a coach, a coordinator? Does he stay involved or does it hurt too much? to see what he could have been, to see older players getting hurt or playing or actively being in the NFL when he's only 28 years old. Does he disappear into the sunset? It's a straight wait to see, but the NFL is very focused on this issue. And rest assured, they are doing anything they can because we now have three examples in the past year of players under 30 years old in the National Football League saying no mas. Rob Gronkowski, Andrew Luck, and now Luke Keekley. This is no longer an exception. This is becoming a rule. And when the rule is that your most marketable best players choose to say that your sport is too dangerous, that impacts youth football. That impacts asset value, fans, revenue, all of it. It's not just studies of brains of dead people that need to get done. It's actual rule changes, actual rule changes that change the way football is played. I'm not saying we should be rugby because they have plenty of concussions in rugby. As a matter of fact, there's more concussions in rugby than there are in American football. But the technology has gotten so good with helmets, the workout, the physical specimens who play National League football are so fast. The game is so different that maybe it's gotten too much. Well, the proof is in the pudding when you've got three 30-year-olds or younger who said no more. So this is my favorite time of year, as you all know. It's Oscar time. So the nominations come out, and here's what I do. 
I make a list of all the movies I need to see before the ceremony on February 9th. And it was time to see Bombshell. So I'm going to review it. I don't know if you've heard of it. Bombshell is the story of Roger Ailes, Megyn Kelly, Gretchen Carlson, and then who's the third person? Oh, yeah, it's Margot Robbie playing no one in particular. So Charlize Theron, nominated for Best Actress, plays Megyn Kelly. Nicole Kidman, nominated for nothing and completely not used properly, cast simply because she can do an American accent perfectly and can look like Gretchen Carlson, played Gretchen Carlson. And then Margot Robbie played an amalgam. I love it when actresses or actors are asked to play an amalgam. You see, the story here is that at Fox, there were 23 women who came forward against Roger Ailes, who was basically worked right under Rupert Murdoch, was right in charge of Fox News, and basically built up Fox News to be the money behemoth that it became. So all of these women came forward, named Gretchen Carlson was the first, Megyn Kelly was the most famous, and then Margot Robbie, uh, Best Supporting Actress nominee, played a number of different women. What did I find interesting about this movie? Number one, John Lithgow. John Lithgow is an actor who I started watching in movies as early as World According to Garp. He is one of those actors who disappears into roles. He's better than Richard Jenkins, but he's like Richard Jenkins, who's a character actor. Take a look at him. You've seen him. Many of my fans might know him for the movie with uh, Justin Timberlake and Myla Kunis called No Strings Attached, or that was with Ashton Kutcher. Friends with Benefits was the one where Richard Jenkins was the father, or maybe it was No Strings Attached. Coca, again, for the fifth show in a row, when I can't come up with something immediately, you're supposed to say no. The Justin Timberlake Richard Jenkins movie is No Strings Attached. Then if it's friends with benefits, tell me that it's friends with benefits. So now he tells me it's friends with benefits. I had it right the second and fourth time, not the first and third time. Eventually, we're going to get more help here on Nothing Personal. As you guys continue to download and subscribe and follow me, and as this show grows, I'm so appreciative of the way it's growing now. But if we can grow even more, we may be able to get someone to help Coca. Can you imagine if we can afford to hire an assistant so actually Coca could be on time with the information I need to make it seem like I remember the name of every movie and every sports person, every event and every year that it happened? That would be epic. Let's work toward that. Tell your friends, download, subscribe, rate, review, five stars. So Bombshell's a movie that as you're looking at Oscar movies, you're going to want to watch because John Lithgow he basically is like Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe won an Emmy for playing Roger Ailes on a special on Showtime. John Lithgow does an amazing job. Roger Ailes was a disgusting man. I usually try not to talk of the dead that way, but the fact of the matter is that what he did, and it's not really an allegation. These are not, I believe in innocent till proven guilty. You've heard me talk about it before, both on CBS Sports HQ, anytime during my career, both pre-baseball, post-baseball, etc., Innocent till proven guilty is the number one basic principle I believe in. Roger Ailes is not innocent and he's been proven guilty. Time and time again, he did things that were sexually inappropriate. There's something called, and spoilers alert, spoiler alert, twirling. A twirl. It's not what you think. I'm not talking about that type of twirl. It's not a trapeze artist, but he would have women who were interviewing to be anchors on Fox stand up during an interview and twirl, claiming that he needed to see how they looked because this is a visual medium. 
He's the one who apparently introduced that you want to look at women's legs while you're watching the news. Had he never heard of Entertainment Tonight? Entertainment Tonight has been showing Mary Hart's legs since I was a tiny little boy learning sex ed in the fourth grade from Dr. Ruth. So I'm not sure he invented that part. But pressuring women into doing things they didn't want to do in order for them to believe that that was the only way that they could have a successful on-camera career, that's when you've got a problem. He was let go at Fox, forced to be let go. He then, he then died a year after. That's not a spoiler alert. He's dead now. He died before there could be any sort of, uh, really, uh, any sort of justice, in my opinion. And this movie does an okay job. It's directed by Jay Roach. Charlize Theron is the star. She morphs into Megyn Kelly. It be, best makeup is the winner, right? They, this, look at this picture above me. If you're listening to this podcast, go look at the trailer at the movie poster. Charlize Theron is Megyn Kelly. I don't, did they just do like a Photoshop? No, that's makeup. Margot Robbie's Margot Robbie. And then we've got Nicole Kidman. Bombshell, it's about a 6 out of 10. It's fine. I don't think it wins any Academy Awards, maybe makeup. But the story of Roger Ailes is one you should all know because it's something that should never, ever be permitted to happen again. So you want to talk to Samson. That's another one that you guys have all liked. I'm getting more and more DMs now at David P. Samson. Here's how it works. We're movie people here. We review movies, TV shows. There's a movie called Half-Baked. If you're a loyal listener, you know I've said it. People want to talk to Samson. Well, I'm Samson, no P. Sometimes I'm DM'd with, so you want to talk to Samson. I may or may not answer, and I may or may not tell you that there should be no P in my name. The P is after the D and before the S, at David P, as in Philip Samson. So I got a question from, it's interesting, I got this question two different ways. Three different ways, actually. It's a two-part question, three different ways. Let's get into some detail. One came from a Raider fan in Oakland. One came from a Raider fan in Vegas. And one came from a Raiders fan who wanted to understand about publicly financed stadiums. I can't imagine why they'd ask me about publicly financed stadiums. Maybe it's because that's what I did for the Marlins. I basically helped shepherd a public-private partnership between the Miami Marlins, then the Florida Marlins, and the county of Miami-Dade and the city of Miami. There will be a bonus pod or a different segment on the whole Marlins stadium financing situation. This is about the Raiders and their move to Vegas and the steps that are required when you rename and relocate a team. Because very often, the image that we have Maybe this is me being old, but the image that I have of a team leaving before I got into sports was an image of midnight, it's dark, moving trucks pull into the ballpark where you used to play. Boxes are crated and moved up a ramp into this 18-wheeler. And just like that, the 18-wheeler with a few trucks behind it end up in a new city. They get unpacked, and before you know it, the Baltimore Colts have become the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, you know who I'm talking about in Baltimore. Give me a shout out for Art Modell. That's what Art Modell did. He actually moved the team in the middle of the night. Was he the first guy to do it? How about all you people in Brooklyn? Is anyone out there over 70? That's such a great target demographic for our sponsors, I can't even tell you. Well, if you're over 70 years old, you know what happened. With the Brooklyn Dodgers, 
they went to bed one day and they woke up as the Los Angeles Dodgers. Is that what happened in Oakland? Absolutely not. Let me start by telling you the following thing. There was a way to stop the Oakland Raiders from becoming the Las Vegas Raiders. They needed Oakland and the people of Oakland to approve the financing of a stadium in Oakland. You didn't do it. Now you're complaining about it. That's fine. I'm happy to have you do it. Well, as a head of an organization who changed its name from Florida to Miami and then relocated, threatened relocation to Vegas, but didn't do it, to San Antonio, but didn't do it, to Portland, but didn't do it, ended up relocating only 10 miles south to the same county in a new building, there's three steps that you have to start with. The first one is you have to develop your new trademark, your new name. What is it going to be? What's it going to look like? Then you have to work with the league, the NFL in this case, and you clear the name. That's a legal term, meaning you, you save the domain name, like the internet name, LasVegasRaiders.com, LVR.com. All of you speculators out there, I got to do a side note here. Sorry. Do you know how many times in my 18-year career after the internet was born that I got called to say, hey, I own the domain name, MMarlins.com. Miami Marlands.org. Give me $10,000 free season tickets and a free cruise and I'll sell you that domain name. I'd like to tell all you people out there who are speculative buyers of domain names, I wouldn't pay you a penny. Not one penny. If you want to go out and buy a domain name like the Las Vegas Raiders or LVR or Las Vegas Raiders of Vegas, Vegas Raiders of Las, any combination therein of, have at it. If I own that team or the president of that team, I'm not paying you for that. I'm not rewarding the fact that you're trying to simply money grab from me. No. So you go ahead, you get your domain name. If what you want isn't available, you get a new one. Then you start working on logos. Then you have to have the logos approved by the NFL. Once you have your final logo, this is all done way in advance because guess what happens to the logo? It then gets sent to all of the licensed apparel makers because the first thing you do when you announce your new name, your new city, what do you do? What do we talk about on Nothing Personal? We talk about money. What do you do? You have stuff available for people to buy. Keychains, toques, hats, jerseys, T-shirts, hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, pajamas, shot glasses. I'll go on. I got all day. It's my damn show. I'm going to keep going. Now nah, you get the picture. You have to get the exact logo, your trademark, to the companies who make the items that you're going to release for sale at your team store online the day you change your name. The Oakland Raiders did something that I never would have done. They did an interim step. They became just the Raiders. They dropped Oakland from their name, but did not add Vegas. They're not adding Vegas till March. It's complete consumer confusion. CCC. You know the group 10CCC? I'm not in love. There's one guy in this office who would know that. It's Brian Tully. Now, maybe, maybe Randy over there would know the group 10CCC with I'm not in love. Why would you confuse your fans and go from Oakland Raiders just to Raiders and then to Las Vegas Raiders? They did an extra step that wasn't necessary, and it became a big deal. Fans of Oakland got upset. 
Fans in Vegas wondered, what is this? Is this our new team? No. The Raiders came out and said this is only an interim step. From March on, we will tell you what we are going to be. Remember, Oakland was the Raiders from 1960 to 2019. Only 13 years of that was in L.A. The rest of it was in Oakland. So in March, they will unveil themselves as the Las Vegas Raiders. They will have stuff available to purchase. Then you're working on uniforms. Did you know that when we unveil uniforms, the changing uniforms to you, that is done over a year in advance? The design for the new uniform, a new logo, your home and away uniform, gets approved by baseball, by football. Then it has to get unveiled to the suppliers of uniforms in baseball. It's now Nike after that huge deal. Under Armour had it for like a week and a half. Used to be majestic. Football has a jersey deal as well. I'm not talking about jerseys you buy. I'm talking about what you wear on the field. So that gets done. All of these things about your logo are done. The second most important thing in a relocation, and I'm not talking about the building of the ballpark. I'm talking about what it is to relocate. You have to set up your infrastructure for your team. You don't want there to be an interruption on the sales side, the marketing side, the PR side, the finance side, or the football side. You've got to coordinate and figure out offices. It sounds so petty and silly to say, but you cannot have a loss of production. You have to have people who leave Oakland on Friday and sit down in Vegas on Monday, and they don't miss a beat. Two things. Logo. Office space. Not the movie. I'm going to talk more later, but the So You Want to Talk to Samson are the most important things about what is required when you change a franchise name. Logo, uniforms, design development, that's the most important. What it takes to relocate, that's like a bonus pod. That's like if you put five-star review and ask a question, and then at the end of every month, I'll answer a bunch of questions on a bonus pod. That's the type of question I could go 20 minutes by itself on, because when you do relocate a team, how you do it, what are the exact steps and detail as to what's required, the approvals, etc. That would be a fun bonus pod. But thanks for so you want to talk to Samson. Pick of the day. How did we do yesterday? Anyone take the bucks yesterday? Anyone complain? We are on fire in the NBA. I hate the fact that Coco keeps reminding me I'm only 2-3-1 and because in the NBA, we are rocking. It's as though we know something that someone else doesn't. Well, my pick of the day today is back in the NBA. I've lost a game with the Thunder, but I'm going to win today. I am heating up right now. OKC minus two over Toronto. Why is that such a bad line? Uh, Number one, Oklahoma covers consistently. Two, the Raptors are like loved. They lost, I was going to say they lost Vince Carter. Can you imagine? They lost Kawhi Leonard, MVP of last year's finals. They are the defending champions. They've been playing great with Van Fleet, Von Fleet, um, Siakam, Sycam, I, I can't, Siakam, they actually have players, they're a good team, but they're not nearly as good as they've played, and they only having to give and get two, I like Oklahoma beating that team by more than two points. Okay, finishing the show with wait to see, it's a complicated wait to see today. Uh, two things happened yesterday that uh, the wait to sees are over. We talk about this on the show for any new listeners Wait to see is what I do on Twitter at David P. Sampson, and I take accountability. When I say something's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to tell you I was wrong. When it does happen, I'm going to tell you I was right, but either way, I'm going to close the book. Number one, 
I said Alex Cora would be fired. That was my wait to see from yesterday. Bye-bye. That worked. Number two, did you watch the Jeopardy greatest of all time? I told you to watch it. Ken Jennings was named the greatest of all time. He crushed the competition. We had our money on Brad Rutter. Brad Rutter, who had won the most of any, of any Jeopardy player ever, the most money. Here's who Ken Jennings was playing against. James Holtzhauer and David Sampson. That's about what it was like. A complete overmatch for Brad. He ended up with 1,400 points over an entire game. Suffice it to say, it was an embarrassment. I got it wrong. Ken Jennings, you are the GOAT. The guy was a machine. I've never seen a Jeopardy player like him. I don't think that will ever be matched. He is the Michael Jordan of Jeopardy. Never to be matched. No matter how many young players like Holtzhauer come along pretending they're LeBron or Kobe, you will never match Michael Jordan of Jeopardy, Ken Jennings. What's my wait to see today? I'll tell you, the next manager of the Red Sox, let's call it Ron Renicky. I'm calling that the bench coach of the Red Sox is named the manager. I am telling you that it will be a manager that will help the Red Sox move forward past the insanity of the last few days. Let's see if it actually happens. So, Alex Cora, you're sitting here watching CBS Sports HQ and listening to my podcast, and I know what you're wondering. For the second day in a row, I'm addressing you directly because you know for sure when you heard John Henry talk about you that it was just business. It was nothing personal. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.